This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. The Scoop Podcast has successfully survived Fat Tuesday. Valentine's Day is another story, but the show must go on. So here we are. It is Scoop Podcast episode 127. Certainly lots to get to on the Twins front, the Vikings front, the Wolves front, but we will start hockey. I've been told I don't do enough hockey on this podcast, so I'm doing my best. So we'll catch up with Wild VP Brent Flair. He is second in command in the front office. We'll get to him in just a second, but first, some love for the sponsor of the Scoop Podcast. They keep this podcast going. It is Skoll Marketing. They are a business-to-business marketing agency. They specialize in working with local small businesses. They, too, are a locally owned company started by two former Google employees to help the little guys compete. They work with businesses in web development, pay-per-click advertising, social media management, and so many more areas. Let's make Google work for you. If you're a small business owner, if you're just a business owner in general, you can utilize Skoll Marketing. For more, the website skollmarketing.com or call now to schedule your free 30-minute consultation. 612-787-SKOLL. 612-787-SKOLL. Again, the website, skollmarketing.com. All right, let's get to Brent Flair. Brent, always appreciate your time. We're taping this on Valentine's Day, so before we get into into your team and what's keeping you busy and so much going on in the National Hockey League, I mean, do you do anything big for Valentine's Day? You're married, am I correct? I am married, yeah, but I'm out in uh, Plymouth, Michigan at the... Five Nations under 18 tournament this week so I had to take her out for dinner on Monday and you know we're, uh, that was our Valentine's Day so oh nothing wrong with that now do you send uh you know a bouquet of roses or anything like that yeah she got taken care of so nice very good work all right speaking of love being in the air I mean your team all they do is is love to get points at home what is the streak now is it 13 consecutive home games where you guys have gotten at least one point I mean that is a pretty impressive streak yeah, it's you know we've got to make uh, we've got to play our best at home and on the road has been a bit of a struggle for us, but I think we've played a little bit better recently. It's just, uh, but yeah, any point is valuable for us right now, and our guys feel comfortable playing at home, and and obviously the fans are great, and, but uh, you know we definitely have to collect as many points as we can. I mean, it seems pretty obvious. Would you agree with this that this thing will go right down until the final week of the regular season for you guys? Yeah, no, it, it is. It's, uh, you know, I guess it's a healthy environment, makes it fun for fans, but it's it's stressful. But at the same time, it's you know it forces guys to be ready to play every night and um, it's playoff hockey pretty much the rest of the season. So um, you know, it's uh, every time you win a game, you kind of keep up with the pack. If you lose, you fall behind. So it's uh, you know every every loss seems to sting a lot more than you know it does early in the year or, or in past years. It seems. Yeah, I mean, heck, what was your guys' record in October? Was it something like 4-4-2, four, four, and two, which isn't a train wreck, but it just seems like you guys have been climbing up ever since then, that you dug that hole, which really wasn't much of a hole, because there are so many points at stake every single night, you know, and the West is so deep, it seems like you guys have been trying to dig out of that hole that you that you created in October. Yeah, I just read we have the second most points we've had at this point of the season, and in our history, and it just seems like we're in a dogfight to to stay in the playoffs. So, but anyway, it is it is what it is. It's it's part of being in the Central Division and uh, in the Western Conference. There's no easy games anymore. 
Do you like the point setup? I mean, you're right. I mean, for fans, it's fantastic when you can look at your team and say, you know, even if your team is in 12th place or whatever, there's so many points at stake on a nightly basis. You know, you heck, you lose in overtime, you get the point, whatever. Uh, do you like it, though, that, that there's so many points at stake? Do you like the structure of, of how the NHL has things set up for, for points and how they determine the standings? Well, I think, you, you know, depending on what side you're on, you could always make an argument, yes or no. But, uh, you know, the system is the system. I think it, I think it works. Um but yeah, it's for us. It just happens to be uh, makes it a little tougher. But you know what? The Western Conference, it's, it's going to be a grind. Doesn't matter where you are, and you know we have uh, we don't have any easy games. So that's that's just reality. So we'll just have to suck it up. The rules are the same for everybody in the division. We just have to make sure we're we're in the top grouping. I saw a tweet after after the win Tuesday against the Rangers from Aaron Sickman, your your PR maven. And it was something like, I forget exactly, but you guys since Christmas have either the fourth or fifth most points. I mean, you guys are seemingly playing a lot better now than earlier in the year. Yeah, our our record lately, and I think there's another level. I think obviously we've been winning games and, um, you know, we've been a little inconsistent from game to game, which part of it's fatigue and travel and whatnot, but part of it's just uh, the way we're playing. But, you know, I think when we're on top of our game, we're, we're a very good team, and it's just maintaining that level of play. And in any situation or any point of the game, whether you have a three-goal lead or you're down, we got to learn to play the right way and learn to close out games properly. And I think once we we get there and do that on a regular basis, we'll we'll be uh, we'll take another step. I think. How do you explain maybe some of the some of the blown leads? I mean, whether it's as recently as last Thursday, the game against Arizona, blowing the three-zero lead, or even. Tuesday night against the Rangers, you guys are up 3-0. They come back to make it 3-2, at least to make it interesting. You guys hold on and win in regulation. But how do you explain the, you know, blowing well, I, those leads? I, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a small sample size just recently. But I think it's uh, it's a, something you can learn from. I think in the last few games we've gotten out to good leads, which you want to do. But you sometimes it's human nature just to take your foot off the gas or, or certain certain players or certain guys – think it's going to be point night and it's going to be easy and then the game shifts and momentum shifts and take a few penalties give up a goal and then you're you're reeling a little bit but the good thing about last night's game is I think as everybody saw we were we didn't have a very good second period but I thought we adjusted in the third and uh we're a lot better and we didn't give up much and that's the way you got to play to, to have success so I think uh guys are understand it and but there are certain games where you're not going to have it and whether it's energy level or whether it's just the right mental focus, but uh, you know, it's something we got to learn from. When you guys do have it, what is clicking? I think we got some, you know, we got balance up front. We got, you know, we got some guys that can make plays. We have skill up front. We got a very good back end and mobility and guys from the back end that join the rush and like give other teams headaches, you know, just, you know, our point production from the back end is, near the top of the league and but I think when you know we get all our three and four lines going and and we can and Bruce is, feels comfortable playing all four lines and coming one after the other I think we're we're a hard team to deal with I mean one thing that's clicking right now is that third line I mean quote unquote yeah. third line with with Coyle and Parisi right yeah you know they're obviously getting different matchups and different pairings of defensemen it gives you know gives those guys some some space out there and ability to create and hopefully we can continue to take advantage of that but that's what having depth at the forward positions and giving you balance throughout your lineup does it gives you 
certain matchups that you can take advantage of, and hopefully we can continue to capitalize on it. I suppose another player clicking right now, Brent, is is your goalie, Devin Dubnik. I mean, are we seeing flashes of the Devin we saw last year? Yeah. No, he's, you know, Devin, you, know, you can ask him himself. He's pretty honest with his own, own game, but, uh, you know, there's games early in the year where it seems to be up and down, and they weren't necessarily his performance is more team-based, but, you know, I think when, when he's on his zone or in his zone and really seeing the puck and making it look easy, um, he obviously makes us a lot better team and, you know, it makes it a lot harder for opposing teams to, you know, they're always looking for the perfect shot rather than volume, and, and uh, you know, that certainly helps us. How did you think the former go for the Eden Prairie native Nick Sealer did in his NHL debut? I think he did fine. You know, I the you know, obviously he was very nervous. Uh, you know, he's a he's a kid that you know he worked so hard to get here, and and he just wanted to keep it safe. But you know, he's one thing with him is he's such a competitive kid. And I think the guys were really excited to have him and get him through his first game. And I think he looked more and more comfortable as the game went on. But you know, he can really skate, and and he's a strong kid. So just simplifying a game, get through, getting adjusted to the NHL speed and skill, and and hopefully he uh, continues to. To adjust. I was in the locker room on Monday, so you know there were there were a few of us talking to him, and he said that, that you were the one who delivered the phone call. I guess it would have been what Sunday to say, "Hey Nick, pack your bags. You're you're coming up." What what was that phone call like? Ah, uh, yeah, I, I make a lot of phone calls, and a lot of them aren't great. They're not good news. So once in a while, when you make a, a good news phone call, it's it's good. And for Nick, uh, you know, it means a lot more just because he's. You know, he's put in his time for a year and a half. He he probably deserved a call up early in the year, and there just hasn't been an opportunity. And um, you know, he's been great in that. We've told him to remain patient, and when you get your chance, you'll get your chance. And and finally, uh, I got to make the call, and because he's a Minnesota kid, I I called him and let him know that you know he's gonna gonna be coming up for for practice tomorrow, and you better get on your way if you want to say hello to your family. And I found out that his family is already down in Des Moines there, so. But no, he was, uh, you know, you could tell in his voice, he was, he was really excited and, and uh, very, very thankful for the opportunity. So hopefully he continues to make the most of it. You said you've made a lot of tough calls. I mean, is there one in particular that stands out? I mean, has a guy ever, you know, you call and say, hey, you're going down to the minors or you've been traded where a guy just blows up on you? Has that ever happened? Yeah. Well, you know, you can, I don't know if it's blowing up the word, but yeah, you've, you know, you've cut, cut players or, sent them down and, and obviously they disagree with the team's evaluation or, or whatnot. It doesn't always, always go really well, but it is what it is. And these guys are all professionals, though. They're, they handle it fine, and um, trades are sometimes even harder. Sometimes they're you know they're easier if the players are looking for a move, but in, in certain cases, it's, you know, trades are never fun, and especially with, you know, the NHL guys where they have families and, and things, it's a lot more goes into it than just the, the hockey and the team. It's, uh, but it's uh, those are not always fun. But at the same time, it's a business, and you learn to deal with it. Was there a temptation to be in South Korea right now for the for the Winter Olympics, or is there just too much going on stateside? No, there's enough going on over here. I think I'll watch a little bit of it from from a distance on TV, and that's good enough for me for this one. I saw that Greenway scored this morning for the U.S. Yeah, Greenway scored, and I was watching the Russian game. Kaprizov scored there as well for for Russia. So we have a uh, yeah a couple of good young kids that participating. So it should be interesting for us to watch, and hopefully our fans if they have time to to check it out. And Chuck Fletcher was recently in Russia to 
to meet with with your young prospect? Yeah, he went uh, uh, right at the beginning of January. Uh, went over, saw a couple games, and and sat down with his agent and him and uh, one of our other prospects over there, as well as a couple other kids that are free agents. So, yeah, I had a good uh, meeting. We've had trouble uh, in past years even getting to speak with them, and and uh, so it's nice to create a relationship and. And, uh, you know, hear out of his mind that he wants to play here eventually. It's just nice. he's got some term on his contract. And when that trade is go, he, he should be more than ready to play in the NHL. How's Luke Cunning doing in Iowa? Uh, he's, he's good. He had uh, two goals and assists there last game. And, and uh, you know, it's the American League, uh, some kids turn pro. They they think it's going to be easy, but it's a, it's a grind. Uh, the travel, the, the games, the three and threes and, it's an adjustment, and you got to learn to take care of yourself, and that's part of one of the biggest things you have to learn down there. So, but he's uh, such a competitive kid. He plays in all situations, penalty kill, you know, block a shot with his head, get the winner, and you know it's just a matter of time before he gets the call himself. Are you shocked? I haven't asked you in ten minutes so far about the uh, about the trade deadline coming up in what is it now? Twelve days. <laughs> yeah, we'll get lots of those. So. I mean, is that one of those deals where you're constantly on the phone? I mean, it's that time of the year. It's what, you know, guys in your position do. I mean, heck, you're you're constantly talking trade or texting, you know, other general managers. Is it pretty active right now? Yeah, I think so. I think there's, you know, uh, you know, we obviously get lots of scenarios thrown at us. and uh, Some are easy to shoot down and some are some to think about. But, um, you know, right now I think there's a lot of teams in similar situations to us or, or below us or a little above and, you know, there's such a small window that, uh, you know, I think a lot of teams don't even know if they're sellers yet or, or buyers or, or what. So they're just kind of setting the landscape and I think you'll see a lot more action as you get closer to the deadline. For us, I think we have some options, uh, internally, um, guys that we need to give a chance to and like a Cunning and that could really help us down the stretch. But we'll see. There's, uh, obviously there'll be some names thrown out there that'll, we'll have to certainly consider and if we have a chance to do that that makes sense we'll we'll certainly help our team is there one area in particular you're you're targeting i mean whether it's i don't know a wing or a defenseman uh well potentially i think you know you can never have too much depth on the on the back end or even up front uh you know i think our, when we're healthy i think our top nine forwards are are good i think there's depending on how coach wants a player fourth line or a bottom six forwards and how he wants to put those together then you know, there's some different looks, or if you want to go with a heavier lineup or a speedy lineup, that, those are the things we're going to have to decide and go with. But, uh, you know, like I said, we'll we'll see what's out there. We'll see what the what we want to do and what the price is. And if we can help it, we'll, we'll make a change. And if not, I think we're happy with what we have. Is it firmly established you guys won't sell, that you guys, if you do anything, would buy, not sell, that – that having the third most points in the NHL over the last five weeks makes you guys more a buyer, not a seller. Yeah, I, well, we're not certainly not throwing in the towel or selling any of our top player. That's not really ever uh, been on the table. But you know, I think if there's a a couple guys that we move and we have an ability to to bring in that we feel is going to improve our team, we will. But um, yeah, I don't I don't really let, even use those terms as buyers or sellers. But um, yeah. Obviously, there is a cap, though, so we have to, you know, if we're bringing players in, someone has to go as well. So just reality of the sport. I mean, I guess what I mean by that is if somebody made you guys an Eric Stahl offer, I mean, I don't want to say that he's untouchable, but 
but more than likely you're not moving Eric Stahl, for example. Correct, yeah. Who's the guy that you get the most calls on? Oh, boy, I don't know. There's uh, You get a lot of random ones, and they're usually pretty quick when it comes to some of our top young players. and um, You know, guys are Charlie Coyles and these guys, and some of our media like to report that we're, his name's out there, but everybody wants Charlie Coyle, and, mm-hmm. and he's a great teammate, great player. Um, he's not a guy, you know, we're looking to move. So it's, uh, he's a big part of the team, a big part of the glue of the team, and, you know, we need more Charlie Coyles, not less. So I would have guessed Jared Spurgeon. Yeah, I think people know it. <laughs> just not so don't bother. So yeah. I think they saved their breath. So. I'll leave you after two more. I mean, you said that, that there's some that you just you easily dismiss. I mean, does a team ever present you a trade offer where you literally just start laughing and hang up the phone? That it's just so yeah. ridiculous? Yeah, yeah. there's lots of those. And, you know, teams do their best to, I guess, fish or throw it out there and see if someone bites. But, yeah, I know there's, there's some where you just politely – Thank you for their time and move on, but yeah, be somewhat professional. But yeah, there's there's a lot of those. I'll leave you after this. How is how is Jonas Brodeen doing? Uh good. I you know obviously he's frustrated. He wants to be in the lineup, but uh, his injury could have been a lot worse uh, with the surgery he had. He's hopefully it's going to be closer to three weeks out rather than six or or seven. So um, that's that's a positive. Um, but he got a little rest. But he can you know the good thing with with his injury, he can still skate and stay in shape and you know with him he probably takes him about five minutes to get back into skating shape anyway with his with his ability so he's a big loss out of our lineup i think any fans that watch us play regularly it's um he's a very under underrated player and uh, he's so good defensively and he's so mobile and he, he just takes up a lot of minutes and can play against top players and just uh you know he's such a valuable piece for us that when he's out of the lineup it you know there's a lot of a lot of people have to come and fill a spot, that's for sure. I mean, I suppose, and I'll leave you after this, Brent, that, that the good news is he should be back in March, right, when, when the schedule's a bit more of a grind, when you're on the road a bit more, and you have some back-to-backs. Yeah, exactly. So he, he should be back, hopefully, by towards the end of the month, and, you know, hopefully gets a little refreshed, and we'll need his energy and, and health and for the uh, for the stretch down through March, so... But obviously we'll be very excited to have him back. Brent, always appreciate your time. Enjoy the event you're at, and we'll see you at the X in the near future. All right, thank you, guys. Wild VP Brent Flair, also assistant general manager, second in command in the front office, right behind Chuck Fletcher. Continuing the hockey theme before we get to some Twins, Wolves, and Vikings notes, also Gophers basketball. I actually spent a good amount of time earlier in the week with Justin Hall's dad. He's the former Minnetonka defenseman, former Gophers defenseman, had that big goal against North Dakota in the Frozen Four a number of years ago. He scored his first NHL goal in his first NHL game on January 31st for the Maple Leafs. It was a long journey. He was in the Blackhawks organization. They moved on, joined the Maple Leafs organization, never gave up. I spent some time with Jerry Hall, who's an author. That's Justin's dad. He's got one heck of a backstory. He decided a number of years ago at the age of 57 that he wanted to do something out of the ordinary. So he flew to Anchorage, Alaska. He biked from Anchorage, Alaska to Mexico, then wrote a book about it. So using his son as a backdrop, that never-say-die attitude, never give up. It'll be a TV story 
that will air sometime on Channel 5 in the coming weeks. I haven't had a chance yet to go through the interview, all the video, but it is a very cool story using his dad as the backdrop, dad talking about son, son never giving up on his NHL dream. He's actually back in the minors now. And another cool link to that story is Jerry Hall couldn't make it to Toronto for Justin's debut. He found out just a couple hours before faceoff. He actually had to scramble to get league pass on direct TV. But the next day was the father-son trip for the Maple Leafs. So he hopped on a flight. He got a phone call late on the night of January 31st after the Maple Leafs victory when Justin scored a goal. He gets a call. He's told to be at the airport first thing in the morning. He barely slept. He flew to New York City and got to watch Justin play for the Maple Leafs against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. And Justin scored again. So Justin Hall, the former gopher, Former Minnetonka skipper scored NHL goals in his first two NHL games. He is the first defenseman in the storied history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. First defenseman ever to score goals in his first two NHL games. So it's a really, really cool story. Jerry Hall, the dad, talking about his son, Justin. Here's what you might have missed on a recent episode of the Raised by Wolves podcast. This Wolves team is just not equipped to hang with the Warriors and the Rockets, which is probably something we kind of already knew. Yeah, I mean, the three-point shooting is, I mean, and again, that's something else that we kind of knew was going to be sort of an issue going into this year because we knew they hadn't really, in the offseason, they they added some players obviously, and and got better in terms of just overall talent. But we knew that three-point shooting was going to be an issue and that they were probably going to have some trouble against teams that are good three-point shooting teams like Golden State and like Houston. And uh, we saw that, you know, the Rockets are a team. They're going to throw up a lot of threes. They've got shooters all over the place. And uh, if you can't if you can't go toe-to-toe, blow-for-blow with three-point shooting with them, that uh, they're more than likely going to beat you. And and uh, so we, we kind of saw that. You can find the Raised by Wolves podcast on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Download and subscribe today. All right, let's transition to the Twins. Like always on this podcast, I don't mean to bury the lead, but I oftentimes just scribble down notes in no particular order. So as I'm looking at my notes, we'll just go in the order that I scribbled them down. Fernando Rodney, the Twins' closer, had some travel issues getting from the Dominican to Fort Myers. He's expected in Fort Myers late Wednesday. He's expected in Twins camp on Thursday. Again, just some travel issues. There's still zero desire from the Twins to settle with Kyle Gibson. Kyle Gibson's side has tried to engage the Twins in negotiations It's really not that hard. The two sides are not that far apart. But the Twins seemingly want some experience going to an arbitration hearing. When you think about in future years, Barrios and Sano and Buxton go up and down the list, that the Twins, with a new guy, Daniel Adler, can use some experience. It's been, what, 12 years, 2006, the last time the Twins went to an arbitration hearing. Back in 2006, that was Kyle Loesch. So again, we'll have some news here in the coming days. I actually said on Scoop Podcast episode 126, I was led to believe that the Gibson hearing would be late last week. I do know the Twins tried to push it past the Super Bowl, so they got pushed down the list. There's still some guys like Jake Odorizzi and Marcus Stroman and others who need their hearings as well. But Kyle Gibson's hearing is certainly coming up very soon. It's unfortunate because until the hearing... And until we have some resolution, Kyle Gibson is not 
in Twins camp. Phil Hughes, I was going back and forth with someone close to Phil. Phil is feeling great. It remains to be seen if he can contribute to the Major League roster, help out that pitching staff, but Phil Hughes has no limitations in camp. Phil Hughes is ready to rock and roll after another surgery last year. Irvin Santana is likely back sooner than the initial diagnosis. There is some positivity on the Santana front. He went to see the doctor again on Wednesday in New York, expected back in Fort Myers later this week. And it might be more like three and a half-ish weeks, maybe four, not necessarily five or six. Miguel Sano is ready to go. Pitchers and catchers are in Fort Myers right now. Position guys, other position guys, report this weekend, Sunday to be specific. Miguel Sano has full clearance after the leg surgery last November, but conditioning still has a ways to go is the way it was explained to me. So Miguel Sano... No shock. He always has to work on his conditioning, but that is a point of emphasis when he gets to Fort Myers. He's still in the Dominican. As of Wednesday morning, I don't have a sense the Twins have made any other free agent offer. So we're talking Lance Lynn. We're talking Jake Arrieta. We're talking, although I wouldn't bet on Arrieta being a guy that the Twins make an offer to, Alex Cobb, Jaime Garcia, Chris Tillman, Wade Miley, John Lackey, and I'm sure I'm leaving out a name or two, Jeremy Hellickson, maybe, but they have not made any offers. So I've been asked a lot on Twitter, are the Twins signing a guy or can they still make a trade? It's hard to handicap until they actually do something. They did make a five-year offer for over $100 million to U Darvish. Now, a couple people close to the Twins for an office said to me they were surprised the Twins even went to five years, that they are pretty steadfast in that front office not giving any free agent pitcher, especially one with a Tommy John surgery history, more than four years. So if they do end up making an offer to Lynn or Cobb, look for it to be either three years or at most four years. They are not going beyond four years with any of those guys. And I'm telling you, there were people surprised that Derek Falvey approved going to even five years on you, Darvish, but clearly the Twins did not get him. The Twins could have gone to six years. They could have bid six years, $130 million. You, Darvish, preferred to be in a bigger market. He was going to Chicago or back to L.A. He was not coming here, and if you think the Twins should have offered you, Darvish, seven years, something like seven, $150 million, I respectfully disagree. I just don't think you give a guy that had Tommy John surgery not that long ago who's 32 years old. I just don't think you give that type of pitcher a seven-year offer. So I have no problem with the way the Twins handled that situation, and it takes two to tango, right? I mean, if Darvish didn't want to be here, there's only so much the Twins can do. He did take a meeting with Falvey and Levine. Those guys did go down to Dallas in the last couple weeks. Also on the Twins, a reminder, I mentioned this in Scoop Podcast episode 126. It is coming up on Thursday, Thursday the 15th of February, the Tim Lincecum Free Agent Showcase in Seattle. The Twins will be one of many Major League teams in attendance. We have an update on some former Twins. Hector Santiago signing a minor league deal with the White Sox. Trevor Plouffe signing a minor league deal with the Texas Rangers. I should mention as I look at my scribble that the Twins... Remains sort of in contact on a bunch of bats. Mike Napoli, heck, Mike Napoli was trying to recruit you, Darvish, to Minnesota without ever having an offer from the Twins. But the Twins still have some interest in Napoli. They've had conversations about Lucas Duda, Logan Morrison, but they've told the agents for all those players nothing is happening until they get some resolution 
on the starter front. I'll remind you what Thad Levine told me last week after the Irvin Santana injury became public, that they are still just looking for one starter, but they could reevaluate that stance in March. So they get down to Fort Myers. They see these guys in some games. It might be March 10th, and they realize, "Uh uh-oh, we need another starter. But at this point, they are only aiming to sign one starter or trade for one starter, not go after two. On the Rays trade talks, heck, we brought this up a number of months ago. I can't remember if I talked about it on this podcast, if it was just 1500 ESPN, Terrestrial Radio, if it was Channel 5. We definitely had it on Channel 5 going back to November that the Twins were having active talks with the Tampa Bay Rays about Chris Archer. I'll say this much on Archer. The Rays have yet to show a true willingness to actually move him. Yes, they are looking to move salary, but not necessarily him. You have to blow them away. There is no doubt that if they move Archer, they want the Twins or some other team, the Brewers, maybe somebody else, to take on Denard Spann's contract. He is due $9 million this year, then $4 million in a buyout after the year, or you pick up the option. But minimum, he's due $13 million on his contract. That's a good chunk of change for a guy that's no longer a center fielder. And he doesn't steal bases. Denard was a good player back in the day. He's still a serviceable player. Heck, if the Twins end up trading Max Kepler to Tampa, they would need an outfielder. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I'm just saying, the Rays need to show a willingness to actually want to move Archer. But as I noted on Scoop Podcast episode 126, there is no doubt that the Tampa Bay Rays are big fans of Max Kepler. So if the two teams ever agree on a trade, maybe it's in July, maybe it's next winter, who knows, maybe it's in the next few weeks, I would be very surprised if Max Kepler wasn't a part of the package going to the Rays. All right, let's get to the Vikings, then we'll get to the Wolves. It's never a dead period in the NFL, but it is a bit of a slow period until everybody gathers later this month in Indianapolis for the Combine. That's when Rumors will become hot and heavy, although there's enough Kirk Cousins Vikings rumors going around right now. I don't doubt that Kirk Cousins has all sorts of interest in the Vikings. He wants to play for a winner. Heck, you look at the Vikings roster. It's set up to win in 2018. It's set up to win in 2019. So I don't doubt that. I still think the Vikings are looking long and hard at putting one of the tags on Case Keenum. Plus, the love for Teddy Bridgewater internally is legit. It is real. So I think they make an effort to bring back Teddy. So would you give Kirk Cousins the richest contract in NFL history? These are things they are kicking around at Winter Park. I don't think any final decision has been made. They are having all sorts of unrestricted free agent meetings. It is George Payton. It is Rick Spielman. It is Ryan Munnins. It is all sorts of folks. I would be remiss to leave out the capologist Rob Brzezinski, any number of scouts. So they are having constant meetings about how to attack unrestricted free agency. I can promise you that Kirk Cousins comes up on a regular basis at Winter Park. So no final determination has been made. I'm just telling you, though, my sense at the end of the year was they would find a way to bring back Keenum on a short-term deal and the love for Teddy is legit. I can tell you on Teddy that somebody close to Teddy, for whatever it's worth, I don't think this is worth much, but somebody very close to Teddy doesn't sense the Vikings will attempt to toll his contract. But certainly the Vikings have not poo-pooed that idea. Rick Spielman met with us recently, Mark Wilf, Mike Zimmer. Nobody has said, hey, no way, no how are we are we not tolling the contract? You know, so they've had every opportunity to say no, he is absolutely going to be an unrestricted free agent. But I'm just telling you, somebody close to Teddy doesn't sense the Vikings 
will attempt to toll the contract. There is no traction yet. If the Vikings are giving Kevin Stefanski a raise, their quarterback's coach, they would have to rip up his current contract. He's under contract for this year, so he would have to sign a new contract. I'm not quite sure his agent, Jimmy Sexton, would advise that. I can tell you Kevin is a professional. He is level head. He was upset. He wanted to go to New York. He wanted to be Pat Shermer's offensive coordinator. I don't think he quite understood how the Vikings denied him the title of offensive coordinator here, then blocked him from taking the same job, different duties because he wouldn't call plays in New York, but same job or same title. He didn't understand why the Vikings would block him from joining Pat Shermer. But I went back and forth with somebody close to Kevin. I am told he is moving on. Let bygones be bygones. So he's not going to let this thing linger. He's not going to be an ass or anything stupid like that. He will have his opportunity. He's only in his mid-30s. Kevin Stefanski is on a great path to eventually be a play caller, to, heck, one day be a head coach. He's not going to F that up. So while I'm sure he is upset, I can guarantee you he voiced his displeasure with the Vikings' decision in denying him the opportunity to go to New York. He will be a professional. He will help out new offensive coordinator John Filippo. He will be an asset to the Vikings. The Vikings realize what kind of coach he is. Heck, I'll admit, when I was handicapping the chances who would be the offensive coordinator, I made him the betting favorite because I know how much they really like him, how much they think he is a wonderful coach. So I just figured, hey, they like him that much. They will elevate him. So I was wrong on that. But I can just tell you, Kevin is enough of a professional where he will continue to do his job at a very high level. I would not worry about him being a sour grape. New offensive lineman guard Josh Andrews had six other teams coming after him, but he chose the Vikings offer. And yes, he can play the guard position that Joe Berger will be vacating. All signs point to Joe Berger retiring. He has not made that official, but he came very close to retiring this time last year. Played the 2017 season. Those close to Joe do expect him to eventually, at some point here this offseason, announce his retirement. So that would be another name in the mix to be one of those starting guards. Josh Andrews comes from the Philadelphia Eagles organization. All right, let's get to the Wolves. Where should I start? Kevin Garnett will not be in town on Thursday for the Flip Saunders permanent banner unveiling. He's got some TNT duties. They start their all-star coverage in Los Angeles on Thursday. So he's got some commitments out in L.A. And as we well know, he doesn't have the best relationship right now with ownership, specifically Glenn Taylor. So even if KG had no commitments as much as he loves Flip, I don't know if he would have been here for that. Plus, I do know, heck, we saw it at the time, you know, how emotionally devastated KG was. I don't know if he'd want to put himself in that environment again. I think he grieves in his own way. I don't want to dismiss the idea of of KG not being here if all was fine and dandy, but the fact that he's got some TNT duties, they have him doing something, and, you know, heck, he's he's got work. But, again, I'm not quite sure he would have been here Anyway, considering everything going on, Kevin Harlan is calling the game, but not Kevin McHale. Why not Kevin McHale? Greg Anthony is the analyst. David Aldridge is the sideline reporter. So TNT for Thursday night's game. It sounds like they'll just show snippets of 
the banner unveiling. It's like a 45-minute ceremony. All fans will get this commemorative coin that honors Flip, and the ceremony will start at 7.15. So it's like a 45-minute ceremony. Tip-off against the Lakers is 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, 7.15, the ceremony starts. So TNT will just show snippets. So whether it's Periscope, whatever, hopefully via social media, there will be some live video. Otherwise, I can promise you I have one of my camera guys shooting the ceremony, at least when it comes to the banner unveiling and whatever else. I will try to put up some some clips late on Thursday on my Twitter page, DWolfson KSTP. But yeah, just unfortunate that this is not a Fox Sports North game because presumably if it was, they would televise the entire 45-minute ceremony. On Derrick Rose, talk has gone silent. There is mutual interest. There has been dialogue between the two sides, but it doesn't look like anything is happening this week. So we will reinvestigate next week. I will dig in next week. There is clearly mutual interest, though. Tom Thibodeau likes Derrick Rose. He had interest in Derrick Rose briefly last summer before they went the Jeff Teague route. Heck, going back to last February's trade deadline. I do wonder, this is just me speculating, this is not me reporting anything, so don't mistake me here, but I do wonder as Tibbs runs that decision up the flagpole to ownership, does ownership say, whoa, what about Tyus Jones? Are you bringing in Derrick Rose to trump Tyus's playing time? Whoa, I don't know. Does that make sense? So, hey, any move you make, you have to run by ownership. So I do wonder where ownership stands on the Derrick Rose possibility. But, hey, here's what I can say. There has been dialogue between the two sides. We will reinvestigate early next week after this weekend's All-Star game. On Marco Bellinelli, the Wolves never made a call on him when he hit free agency. They did have brief trade talks with the Atlanta Hawks, but nothing that ever became even remotely serious. Marco Bellinelli ended up signing with the Philadelphia 76ers. On Andrew Wiggins coming off that pitiful performance on Tuesday against Houston, here's what I was told, speaking of running things up the flagpole, that Tibbs had a little bit of an open mind in sending Wiggins to Chicago for Jimmy Butler last summer. There was actually a thought in the Wolves' front office that they could keep the seventh pick. Glenn Taylor was on this podcast shortly after the draft. He said, Lori Markinen of Arizona was their guy. Lori Markinen is off to a fantastic start. Lori Markinen would look good in a Wolves uniform. That there was a thought if they moved Wiggins plus Dunn, they could have gotten back Butler, that Chicago wanted Wiggins that badly, and they then could have kept the seventh pick. They didn't have to swap seven for pick 16. Not that Justin Patton doesn't have a bright future, but you would love to have Lori Markinen right now. The Tibbs liked Zach Levine enough. Who doesn't like that work ethic? Sam Mitchell's been on this podcast before saying that when he was the interim head coach, they had to take away Zach Levine's key fob. I mean, he was going to Mayo Clinic Square at ungodly hours, one in the morning, three in the morning. He was in the gym all the time. They finally had to take his key fob and say, Zach, go home. You're in the gym too much. So I can tell you, Tibbs certainly liked that work ethic. He certainly thought at the time that Zach Levine had a very bright future, but you have to give up something to get something. The end goal was to bring Jimmy Butler here. So Tibbs was able to accomplish the end goal. But I do know that ownership, it was ownership who said early in the talks, you tell Chicago that Andrew Wiggins is off limits. Then I'm told Tibbs had an even more open mind when it came to potential trade talks with the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
about Kyrie Irving. Now, talks didn't go anywhere because the Wolves didn't really put Wiggins on the table. They were not willing to move Wiggins for Kyrie Irving. But I can tell you in that front office that Tibbs certainly had some interest in bringing Kyrie Irving here, even if the cost was Andrew Wiggins. But again, you run those decisions up the flagpole. So there are multiple owners. Glenn Taylor is the majority owner, but he's got a number of partners. You need the ownership group to be on board, certainly the majority owner. If he's not on board with a trade, the trade is not happening. Gophers basketball, Dupree McBrayer with the foot injury, was trying to give it a go on Tuesday against Michigan State, but just couldn't quite get there. But there was a thought that morning, Tuesday morning, even into pregame warm-ups, that there was a chance he could play, but he never got to the point of, okay, I am good, I can play. Amir Coffey was always going to be out on Tuesday against Michigan State. He still hasn't fully recovered from that right shoulder injury. He really didn't retweak it. That is the public narrative, but that is not true. He didn't retweak it in the late January game against Northwestern. Remember, he came back, he played on January 20th against Ohio State, and a few days later against Northwestern, the public narrative was, Spun by the Gopher staff, he retweaked the right shoulder in the Northwestern game. No, the right shoulder was never close to being anywhere near 100%. He tried to toughen it out. Hey, you know, any coach is trying to win games. If you have a mere coffee, even at 65 or 75%, hey, roll with it, right? I mean, heck, he's a great player. So that's what they did against Ohio State. But I'm not quite sure that was a wise decision because the right shoulder has always been jacked up. It was not a re-injury. It was always injured, originally injured in the January 3rd win against Illinois. Reggie Lynch has his appeal hearing on Thursday, 1 o'clock. Thursday, 1 o'clock for the Reggie Lynch appeal hearing. The other hearing is scheduled for February 19th. Two appeal hearings for two separate cases. I did see... That his attorney, Ryan Pasiga, will hold a news conference on Thursday morning at 11 a.m., so before that 1 p.m. hearing. Also on Gophers basketball, Anthony Simons, the former Louisville commit, who actually can go to the NBA draft if he wants. He's at IMG Academy in Florida. He told 24-7 that he might visit Minnesota. The Gophers have made him an offer. He's a top 15 player in the country. He's a one-and-done type player. If he wants to go to college, North Carolina State wants him badly. Tennessee wants him badly. Florida wants him badly. The Gophers want him badly. He's a phenomenal talent. Heck, the Wolves had a scout watch Simons recently because there still is a belief from some NBA folks that ultimately he will go the NBA draft route, that how do you turn down being a first-round pick? Now, Miles Bridges turned down being a first-round pick a year ago. There are numerous examples, but oftentimes, especially coming out of high school, or, you know, in this case, IMG Academy, a post-high school type, you know, situation that you would go pro, right? I mean, if you have a chance to make millions on a guaranteed contract, you would go pro. But Simons is still weighing all those options. I still think in the end he ends up going to the NBA, but the Gophers are trying. And if they get him on campus, you show him the new facilities, hey, who knows? Maybe they could get Anthony Simons here Next year, the Gophers did offer a 2018 big man from the same high school as Jameer Harris and Dupree McBrayer in New Jersey. The Gophers is his first high major offer. I can't even pronounce his name. What's interesting there, though, is for the longest time, the belief was the Gophers would chase a ball handler, a point guard or a combo guard, somebody that can play some one, 
some too at the one scholarship opening in 2018, but now they're offering a big. I do wonder, and I've had some people wonder, if Devontae Fitzgerald will be back for yet another season next season. So is it possible there is more than one opening? Here's what I would say about the 2018-2019 Gophers men's basketball roster. It is incredibly fluid. I fully expect one, if not multiple guys, to test NBA draft waters. That means you can go to workouts, you have to pay your own way, get good feedback, and if the feedback says, hey, you're a second-round pick or you won't get drafted, you can go back to school as long as you don't hire an agent. So you have to pay your own way, which isn't that big of a deal for some of these guys. They can pay to fly to Chicago to work out for the Bulls or pay to fly to Indianapolis to work out for the Pacers or drive down the street, work out for the Wolves. Get some feedback from these NBA folks. Just don't hire an agent. So you can always go back to school. So I'm just saying, who knows? Maybe they get some good feedback. One of the guys does. He goes pro. Maybe Fitzgerald isn't back. You've got already the one scholarship opening. I'm just saying the roster is very, very fluid for the 2018-2019 season. There is no sense that Richard Pitino is in trouble. He should not be in trouble unless we find out that going back to when they took Reggie Lynch, he knew a bunch of stuff and still took him with Reggie's background. I just don't see a scenario, though, where on the court, Richard Pitino loses his job. I get it. He's 30 and 56 in five seasons in the Big Ten. That is atrocious. But I'm telling you, Tom Izzo is right. When you lose Eric Curry, when you lose Reggie Lynch, when you lose Amir Coffey, when you lose Dupree McBrayer, best of luck. This roster was built to win, win at a high level this year, just due to unfortunate circumstances, both health-wise and off-the-court-wise. This season has gone completely down the drain. I don't put it all on Patino, though. Hey, the pressure is on next year, but I just don't see the Gophers paying him millions of dollars in a buyout. Heck, where would they come up with the money for a Richard Patino buyout? They don't have it internally. Would a booster pay it? I don't know. I'm just telling you, I would be shocked if Richard Patino loses his job after this season. Patino was in Virginia recruiting last weekend. I've been asked if Jordan Murphy is a potential graduate transfer. Well, he doesn't graduate until December. So he's not graduating this summer and looking to bail this summer. I still think Jordan Murphy, who has a chance to go down in the history books, if you look at his rebounding numbers, his point numbers, if he has another good year next year, he'll be right at the top in so many categories, especially points and rebounds. I just don't know why he would leave at this point. He's already gone through so much his freshman year with the Twitter sex tape with Nate Mason, Dupree McBrayer, Kevin Dorsey, and all those losses that year, then all the losses this year. He's gone through so much. He's toughened it out. He's become a better person because of it. I feel bad for Jordan Murphy, a kid who works his ass off, who's had to deal with so much crap in two of his three seasons here. But I just think it makes sense for him to finish his Gophers career, go out in style next year as a senior. One other note before I wrap up Scoop Podcast episode 127, plus give some more love to Skoll Marketing, who sponsors the Scoop Podcast. Quinn Carroll, 2019 offensive lineman from Edina High School. He's got every offer imaginable. Every school in the country wants Quinn Carroll. By the way, Bryce Benhart, good offensive lineman from Lakeville North, recently got an Oklahoma offer, so he's in demand big time, too. The Gophers want both those guys. Bryce Benhart, Quinn Carroll. Anyway, Carroll, in the next three to four to five weeks, will narrow his lengthy list to five schools. He will then visit those schools in April and May, then sometime thereafter, maybe it's June, July, August, maybe right before his season starts, his senior season starts at Edina, In mid-August, he will announce 
what school he's going to. Yes, the Gophers with the legacy angle. His dad is a former Gopher. Yes, presumably the Gophers will be one of the five. Whether they ultimately get him, that remains to be seen. Certainly Notre Dame will be hard to say no to some other schools, but he absolutely thinks the world of P.J. Fleck, that I know. So the Gophers have a legitimate chance to land one of the best in-state recruits of the last, what, 10 years, 12 years, going back to Chantrell Henderson, Creighton, maybe Joe Maurer, Creighton, or Michael Floyd, certainly Carter Coughlin a couple years ago at Eden Prairie, had some good offers, but I'm telling you, Quinn Carroll of Edina has every offer you could think of. He can name what school he wants to go to. When you've got all these SEC schools and ACC schools coming up here and they tell you, hey, we want you, you know you're in demand. But certainly the Gophers have a legit chance. They're in the mix to land Quinn Carroll of Edina. Skullmarketing.com. Skull Marketing, they keep this podcast going. If you're a small business owner, heck, if you're any sort of business owner, utilize Skull Marketing. They can help you make money. They can help your business grow in so many different ways. Go to the website to learn all sorts of information about them. It is SkullMarketing.com. That does it for Scoop Podcast Episode 127. Always appreciate you listening. I'm spending some time later this week. With Glenn Perkins at his house, we'll talk retirement. We'll talk what's next, maybe home brewing. He's got this unbelievable ice rink set up at his house, so it'll be a cool story. It's actually slated to air if we get it all done Sunday night on Channel 5, but I'll sit down with him for a while, so I will play back that conversation, whether it's episode 128 or 129, but in the coming weeks, I will certainly play back my entire conversation when I spend some time with the former Twins closer, the pride of Stillwater, the former Gophers reliever and starter. He was actually a starter at the University of Minnesota, Glenn Perkins. So look for that in the coming weeks. Always appreciate you listening. Scoop Podcast episode 127 is in the books. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A do operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.